the book of Proverbs, <clears throat> chapter 2. I'm just returning from leave, and so my throat is uh, a little rusty. Uh, but I trust that after a bit of exercise for five minutes in the pulpit, uh, we should be back to normal. It's good to see all of you at the beginning of uh, this new year. Uh, we're still going through the difficulties of uh, COVID. Uh, we need to continue pleading with the Lord that he might be merciful upon us as a nation and also as a people. Oh, this little thing here. Thank you very much. At least it was evidence that uh, I was masked up at some stage. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, so um, we need to continue praying that not only the Lord spares our lives, but also that uh, as a result we may know him better. And it's part of this knowing him better that really is the heartbeat of my message this morning. As you can see from the screen, my, my message, message is on, on the theme, uh, the, the benefits of seeking after wisdom. The benefits of seeking after wisdom. And uh, all I'm saying really is that yes, we've all, by the grace of God, come to the beginning of uh, this year. And yet, in saying so, it does not say much, because as important as a good beginning might be, it is important to lay a good and solid foundation for anything. It is even more important that we end well. That's even more important. There are many times when individuals, for instance, go into um, secondary school, Having come from a very, very good private primary school, given all the basics for success. But when they get into secondary school, they end up in bad company. And in the midst of that bad company, they lose track and everything that they had been taught therefore in primary school comes to a dead end because they get expelled from school. And therefore, it becomes a disaster. A very good beginning, but in the process, a disastrous end. And sadly, too many young adults mess up their lives in that way. Not because they did not have a good beginning. They may have even been brought up in a Christian home, gone into a very good church, but somewhere along the lines, they mess up in ministry, and the end is a total wreck. What is it that would prove helpful to us not to end up that way. Oh, friends, that's part of the reason why the whole Bible has been given to us. 
But, but prior to that, that, I would say, that's, that's why, why the Bible has what is called wisdom literature. literature. Wisdom literature. The, the most, most obvious, obvious one being the book of Proverbs. And, and so, I'm, I'm taking you to chapter 2, not because it's the only passage that is teaching this, but it's because the chapter encapsulates everything else that we find in the rest of this book. And so, I want us to quickly look at this chapter. And its message seems to be quite clear. It is this. That the way in which we can end life successfully is not simply by us having wisdom. And that's important. But it is by us seeking wisdom. Being deliberate in seeking after wisdom. In other words, it's not simply that other people have given me wisdom. They have given me biblical teaching, as we shall see in a moment. But rather, it is that I made it a personal pursuit. I made it a personal goal that whatever I'm going to get in life, above all, I will get wisdom. I want us to see this as we begin to look at this chapter. So, read with me Proverbs chapter 2 and just the first four verses for now. What I want you to notice there is this same aspect of being encouraged to seek after wisdom. Now, the way it is phrased, it is not phrased as an imperative. We're not being told there that seek after wisdom. Rather, what we're being told is if we seek after wisdom, these will be the results. So let's just quickly read that. Proverbs chapter 2, the first four verses. My son, if you receive my words, there it is, if you receive my words, and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, and then for the sake of it, I just read verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You can see here that the main message of Solomon, who was putting these uh, messages together, was basically the fact that there is a benefit to having wisdom but I hope you've noticed there that it is not simply you being like a, a funnel in which wisdom is being poured, but rather it is you using all your energies in order for this to be true of you. Now, there's no doubt there is the source, and it is Solomon who represents 
the word of God, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. But more than that, there is the aspect of being very receptive. Very receptive. He says there, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. In other words, there is a very deliberate giving attention to what is being taught. You are not passive. You are deliberately asking yourself the question, what is it that I am learning here? I've said this once or twice before in the 30 plus years of my pastoral ministry here, but I still have back home the, the book in which I used to take my sermon notes when I was a young person going through university days. Uh, it's a fairly thick book and it lasted me the whole five years of my engineering studies. But I've never forgotten recently looking through it again and seeing that the very end of my taking notes every Sunday, I paused to say, what is it that you would have me to do, Lord? What is it? And you know where that has come from. It's Paul's statement when he met the Lord. What is it? And I've never forgotten how at the end of every sermon, I used to sit right in the front pew in those days, as I closed my eyes to pray, that's what I was asking. God, what is it? In the many words that I heard today, what is it that you are saying to me, which consequently I need to keep in my own heart, which consequently I must do? It's possible to go to church, go through the motions of everything, and end up home completely unprofited. And half the time, in fact, you probably are dozing. Half the time, you are perhaps with your mind out there. And as a result, you are not benefiting. There's something about a heart that deliberately is saying, I have come to learn. What is it you are teaching me? But notice it is not simply the source, it is not simply the attitude, but it is also this thirst, this deliberate effort that I must put in in order for me to get all this. It says in verse 3 and 4, yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. And that's obviously suggesting it's more than when I am at church listening to that teacher and being attentive. It is that I am making more and more of a priority with my time to gain this knowledge. When somebody is seeking something, you know how much extra time they put into it. You know how focused they are 
on that issue. You can hardly take the attention to something else. They are back at this because it is the thing that they are concentrating on. In fact, they will even put in whatever money they can put in in order to get back the investment. They're going to do that because they are earnestly seeking after something. Friends, is that your attitude with respect to wisdom? Can you honestly say that the priority is obvious in terms of time, in terms of focus, in terms of even the, the money that you spend? Is that a priority to you? Is it so obvious to anybody who is around you that this person is after wisdom, is after understanding you can't miss it well that's the first thing that we see in this text but secondly it is the fact that when this becomes your way of life God will give you wisdom God will give you wisdom what I love about this second section is that he's not saying you will find wisdom he is saying, God will give it to you. In other words, when you are searching for wisdom, it is not long before you realize in your search for wisdom that the most important thing is to enter into a living and healthy relationship with God. That's it. That's what you finally discover. That is not coming across a few wise sayings that you then begin to, to keep in your pockets. No, 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 no. It, it's, it's finding God. And as you find God, he gives wisdom to you. When you abandon God, he takes that wisdom and understanding away from you and you crash. So the most important is to know God and to live with him. Quickly read with me the next six verses. Verse 5 down to verse 10. And I think again and again I want you to notice that it is God and then he's giving all this to you. We've already read verse 5, but I'll read it again. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Bang! It's God that you finally find and you begin to understand that the most important is to fear him, to respect him, to give him due place in my life. A generation that has already gone past some two to three hundred years ago asked the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose for living? That's basically what he said. Where is life going? How can I make sure that I'm on the right path? What is the chief end, the chief purpose? And the answer was this. To glorify God 
and to enjoy him forever. They, they managed to, to crystallize everything to do with, with understanding life in this. That my life is being lived for the glory of God and in that life I am enjoying fellowship with the living God. That is peace, that is purpose, that is comfort, that is enjoyment, that is everything. Well, that's what the wise man is saying here. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And once you do, listen to the consequence. Verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice and watching over the way of his saints. And what will now happen? Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul if there's one thing i would want to convince you about and kawata baptist church largely comprises young people, young adults. If there's one thing I'd want to convince you about, it is exactly this. Especially that we're entering into a new year. This is the time to make what we call New Year resolutions. And it, it, that you need to be convinced about one thing. I want to pursue hard after God. To pursue or chase hard after God. Because I realize in knowing him, he will give me so much more. And it's not so much more of worldly riches in terms of a fat bank account, but it is so much more of life spiritual, abundant life because I begin to understand what life is. Very quickly, one of the things that comes out here is that when you know God, you get convinced about the fact that he is a moral being. He's a moral being. In other words, you cannot have God and have sin at the same time. You can't. It's one or the other. And it comes out here and says, he stores up sound wisdom. Notice, for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. The first lie of the devil is never abandon Christianity or abandon God or shipwreck your life. It's never that. The first lie of the devil is this. They won't know. 
That's the first lie of the devil. They won't find out. It's being done in secret. It's being done in behind closed doors. It's being done in darkness. It's being done on my cell phone under a pin. They won't know. When the devil has you there, you've begun the slide downwards. What prevents you from going down that way is this. The one I'm having fellowship with knows everything. He knows everything. Even in the darkest place, it is as though it is broad daylight. He knows all things. And therefore, you realize, because he's a moral being, I must be upright. Because he sees all things, I must be a person of integrity. And therefore, when somebody's coming to you with that sly smile and saying to you, don't worry, nobody will know, you immediately realize, I'm out of here. Because the one I have fellowship with, the living God, is hearing everything, even the thoughts in my mind. And I fear the Lord. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. May I challenge each one of you to seek after this kind of wisdom. Not the worldly one which is often given by motivational speakers. Not that one, the biblical one. Chase after it. With all your being, chase hard after God himself. And then these benefits begin. The one that he's concentrating on is from verse 11 all the way to verse 19. And basically it is this, that wisdom will protect you. That's basically all he said. That wisdom will protect you. The reason why people start well and finish badly is that they are lacking that second part we're talking about, which is only a fruit of the first, the seeking after. And then they lack this relationship and fellowship with God. They lack it. And therefore God is not pouring into their hearts wisdom and understanding. But those who do listen to the benefits. There are quite a number of verses here, so I will not comment on them individually, but in chunks. He says this, verse 11, Discretion, which is really another word for wisdom, will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. That's the benefit. You go off to university, you don't need your parents to be with you there. Why? You've got God. You've got God. He will ensure that you've got solid ground under your feet. You go into a company, into an office, and you're surrounded by unbelievers, no problem. You don't need to have your pastor there. God is with you there. He's giving you wisdom. And consequently, 
that will protect you while the people around you are full of sin and evil. You're pursued after God. God gives you wisdom. You are protected. Protected from what? The very first thing that is seen, in fact, it's seen throughout this passage is bad company, bad friends, bad TV movies, bad social media sites, bad, bad, bad. It will keep you away from them. Listen to this. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who themselves have forsaken the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, and who are devious in their ways. You will detest their company because the moment you spent with them, however little it was, you felt so dirty, so defiled, you could not go into a meaningful fellowship with this God who has meant everything to you. And so you vowed, forget that company. I'm not going to make those my bosom friends. Forget that site. Forget that TV series or whatever else it might be. It is defiling my soul. I would rather people at the office are saying to me, didn't you watch it? Man, it was great. It was on TV. And everybody is thinking it was the greatest thing. And I'm saying, sorry, the greatest thing for me is the presence of the Lord. I tried it once. And I was too defiled to be in his presence. It will keep you away from such. It will keep you away. And that way, guard you as you are going forward in life. It also guard you from sexual immorality. And this is what often destroys young people and young adults. We play with pythons and puffaders and cobras because they pretend that they are charmed, that they don't bite until we have them in the same private room and then they bite. But listen to this, verse 16 to verse 19. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back nor do they regain the paths of life. The point he's making, obviously, is using an example of actual adultery and using the example of an adulteress. She's a married woman, 
but she cares nothing about the sanctity of the marriage bed and consequently lasting after you begins to entice you to come home, come for a meal, want to come in with me for a cup of tea, and so on and so forth, until finally you say, well, yeah, just a cup of tea. And by the time you're coming out of that home, you have destroyed your spirituality. You left it in there. That's an example. And it's poetry. Poetry uses but one to represent a lot. And sexual morality is not just from females who are married. It crosses, it goes across the board. And often those friendships with members of the opposite sex destroy the lives of many. Many a young adult, Ati, he is just a friend. She is just a friend. Just, just, just and disaster falls. Initially you were saying, no, I'm a Christian. No, I can't do this, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And by that point now, that Christianity has gone out of the window. And an immoral lifestyle has become yours in secret. Friends, what will save you from going the way that so many young people have gone? It is what we are learning in this chapter from the very beginning. Seeking wisdom, seeking understanding, seeking discernment with everything in you. Saying, what is life? Why has God given me sexuality? Let me understand the role it plays in life. And having understood it, I will live by that. Why is it connected to marriage? What is marriage? From the designer of marriage itself. Let me understand these things and live by them. I don't care what the modern culture says about sex and everything else. I don't care about that. They did not create life and living. God did. Therefore, I go to the fountainhead itself. I go to God. And in my relationship with him, I find that he says, even that must be dedicated to him. Everything about me, including my sexuality, must be dedicated to him. And that I must keep myself from the unequal yoke. And the unequal yoke is not just the unbeliever out there. It is even the person who claims to be a believer, but lives a life of sin 
and corruption and wickedness. I want to live for God. That's what will keep you from the world's fallen creatures. They are many in abundance. They are in your home context. They are in your working context. And sadly, they are also in your church context. They are. You sit with them in the pews. Trust me, they will ruin you. Ruin you. They'll be saying, Kabiri, I'm also a Christian. Kabiri, I'm also a Christian. But in the end, they take away your purity of life in walking with God. Very quickly, what is the end? And that's what wisdom is, isn't it? Wisdom is not about the momentary pleasure. No. Wisdom is if I do this now, where is it leading me? That's wisdom. It's that the end of life is that. This is how I can get there. That's wisdom. And this Solomon here is saying, your end will be blessed. Your end will be blessed. Let's quickly read it. It says, so you will walk in the way of the good. And keep to the paths of the righteous. Now, as I said, this is poetry. It's using picture language. It's using the, the language of a journey. Distance in kilometers representing distance in hours and days and weeks and years. So when he says, you will walk in the way of the good or the pure, he's talking about the fact that when people meet you five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, they are finding that you are still in that way of the pure, the good that you were with in the beginning. That's what they find. When he says, keep to the paths of the righteous, this is called Hebrew parallelism. It's basically saying the same thing. So the path represents the walk, the righteous represents the good. So it's the same thing. That they will find that consistency in life. That you are still on that. 10, 20 years later. Why? Verse 21 and 22. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Many start the road the journey, many. But along the way, the wicked, the treacherous, lose their way. They leave the path. They ruin their lives. They end up skeletons by the roadside, by the cliff, as you peep there, down there, the skeletons. That's where they are. 
But for the upright, they remain on the road. They continue. With those with integrity remain in it. Ten years from now, twenty years from now, they are not mere pure warmers who cannot say anything or do anything for themselves. You find them leading prayer meetings, leading Bible studies. You find them preaching. You find them as deacons and elders in the churches. You find them leading ministries, bringing souls to Christ. As they are continuing as family men and women, they are continuing to bear spiritual fruit for God. Friends, that's the life all of us should be looking up to. Not simply dreaming about as if it's a gamble. Shake the bottle, it will be, shake it, shake it, and then the die falls out, and hopefully it will fall on the right side, and hey, you've won yourself the jackpot. Uh-uh. This is about a purposeful decision that is made. Early in the race, a decision that says, this is going to be my priority. We are all at the start of 2022. But where will we be at the end of this year? Where will we be 2032? Well, if the Lord is pleased, he might take some of us to glory. That's something else. But friends, I've been on earth long enough, and I've been a pastor long enough to know that even while people are listening to this, they've already thrown away their integrity. And somehow the devil has convinced them about that maxim earlier. After all, people won't know. They've already grieved the Spirit of God. He's already withdrawn from them his sensible presence. And therefore, they're already beginning to make serious blunders of judgment already, but still in church, still in church. By the time God says enough is enough and pulls the curtains and the skeletons fall out and you begin to hear the story, you realize that even when that sermon was being preached, the soul was already rotting. There was no living, healthy relationship with God. And the person was content to keep it that way because they won't know. They won't know. I've been around long enough to know. 
that you can preach until your head pops off your shoulders. Such individuals will still go out of these doors, these four doors, back into a life of secret sin as long as they don't know. Let me plead with you at the beginning of this year that you are not a Jericho that's simply sitting there with somebody else. These guys who look after petrol stations pouring the fuel into you. No! You are sitting like a driver on that day when they announced that fuel is going to be increased tonight at midnight. And you are going from station to station and you are being told the usual lie that fuel has finished. And you are saying, I won't sleep today until I get this fuel. And you are pressing your phone asking friends who know friends and where can I get this fuel, man? Going from one end of town to the other because you know I must get it. Although the folly with fuel is, it still finishes, isn't it? <laughs> By the end of the week, <laughs> yeah, you saved roughly 50 kwacha which you probably lost as you were looking for fuel all over town. But that's, that's not the point. The point is, you know, the illustration is the energy, the initiative, the priority that you are going through yourself to make sure that you get wisdom, you get understanding that you yourself become a major student of the Word of God. That, that you read books, you buy books, you, 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 you curve out time from, from the social media world that you might read and study and know. And all that because you want to know God and His purpose for life and, and why He created that you might fit into that purpose like a cog in a wheel. That thirst, that hunger. That's what is going to produce out of this generation of young adults, champions of the faith. That's what's going to give us strong churches in the not-too-distant future. It is young people who know that this is what life is all about. Who search for knowledge as a person seeks after silver and searches for hidden treasure and see your life with God being enriched and enriched and enriched. While you are missing out on some of the world's pleasures and treasures, you are saying to yourself, 
I have what matters above everything else. God. And I can already see the benefits accruing in the protection he's giving me where others are making shipwreck of their lives. Is that you? Is that you? I want to end by saying this begins with genuine repentance and faith in Christ. And often the reason why young adults end up making shipwreck of their lives is that they started their lives on their parents' faith, not their own. They think it's their own, but it's really their parents. And when they leave the parental home, now the people that were saying, ah, uh-uh, stop it, uh-uh, where are you? Yeah, have you read your Bible? Have you prayed? Let's go to church and, and everything else. That voice is gone. And the voice they're now constantly hearing is, Mwana, come. Mwana, let's go. Mwana, did you see this? Mwana, did you hear about this? Mwana, that's all they're hearing. And God gets further away. The world gets closer. And they are gone. The problem is not the world. The problem is Jesus was not in your soul. So make sure you are a true Christian. Make sure that God is already everything to you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the wisdom of Solomon that is spread out in this book. Thank you that it's been preserved over the years, that it might be with us. Thank you that very early in this book is already giving to us the benefits of wisdom. May this convince each one of us to seriously search after it, that we may be spiritual giants treading this earth for the good of this world and for the glory of your name. Do this that you might be glorified in us and that we might experience what it means to enjoy your fellowship in this life and more so in the life to come. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.